Hi everyone and welcome to podcast 24 from Football Aranya. I'm Michael Statham and today I'm joined by James Rowe and Michael Bell, our Football Aranya podcast regulars. On the menu today, plenty of discussion on the Dutch national team, the Scotland match and also in the future, who's going to be manager? What do we want to see from our Dutch national team? Also, a bit of discussion on the Eredivisie. How are final getting on? Why are PSV doing so well? As usual, we're on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes, so wherever you're listening, give us a like and subscribe. Comment below your thoughts on this week's podcast and also what you'd like to hear in our next podcast. Enjoy. Guys, what did you make of the Scotland match? Uh, the Netherlands won 1-0. It was far from convincing and the opposition wasn't quite at the same level as the Dutch. It was a, a good fight though. Um, Michael, what did you think of the match? Did you think it was a fair reflection on the game? Um, well, being Scottish can be a bit biased here, but uh, I wanted Netherlands to win, but I also wanted Scotland to play well. Um, I think I got that. I think I got Scotland basically put out a team with a lot of youngsters coming through, um, and that showed that they were a lot more keen, I think, to show themselves on the night. I think Netherlands just soaked up the pressure. Um, one individual bit of brilliance by Memphis um, when he turned away to set up the counter-attack for his goal. A bit dodgy, a bit offside, but I mean that was enough for Netherlands. They definitely weren't at their best. They definitely didn't show enough. I think it raised a lot of questions in it, the, the dancers. Um, doing the player ratings afterwards, I couldn't really figure you know, who was the man of the match because there wasn't very many standouts. Um, you know, yeah, Daley Blind played a couple of good balls and Memphis did one good thing, but he kept giving the ball away as well. I mean, then you got players like Strutman, Vinaldum, and Babel, Promise, just all weren't at their game. And um, I think if Scotland had a better striker, they might have came away with that with a, with a victory. I, f I think they're grateful for the win, but I think the comments from Stoltman afterwards saying that the victory is only good for the ranking points and that the fact they failed to qualify or the fact they're not even taking part in the UEFA playoffs means they have to play these types of games. And I think for some players that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, but I think they're grateful for the win. It's the fourth win in a row. Uh, they beat Sweden and Belarus and Bulgaria. So it's a, it's a platform to build on and uh, with an upcoming game away to Romania. But uh, now attention's turned to uh, uh, this being Advocat's last uh, last game against Romania, and then what the kind of the Bay will do afterwards. Um, Advocat was a bit coy as to whether he was actually going to leave. I mean, he stated to the Scottish press that this would be his final two games, and then to the Dutch press he was a little bit coy. So that was a little bit strange. But I think um, I think he'll be uh, wanting to go out on a high because it'll be the his, his third stint as a national team manager. And I just think they'll be looking to build on the, the form they've got and then uh, uh, the appointment of the next manager is going to really be uh, decisive as to how the national team goes forward. Yeah, um, just a final point on the Scotland match. I did like uh, how Memphis was a bit of a live wire. He offered that outlet and looks like someone who could be relied upon in future. We just need to see him uh, build his consistency at club level because he has blown hot and cold recently. But... He is definitely pulling it together at Lyon uh, nowadays. Um, so the next match is Romania on Tuesday. And some people listening, maybe this might be after Tuesday. So what would you two like to see, not just from the Romania match, but just in future games now? What do we want to see from the players? What do you want to see from the squad? Michael, would you like to start on that? Squad-wise, I'd like to see 
some fresh faces, especially in midfield. Um, against three trusses, Trippmann, Blind and Wijnaldum against Scotland, I'd like to see it shaken up against Romania. Even Van Hinkle, you know, you could argue that Van Hinkle's probably been one of the best players in Eredivisie this season. He scores goals, he's a bit more physical. He can add a lot more to the attack than I think Wijnaldum can at the moment. Um, even given Van de Beek, his debut, he's been in the squad the past three, four times. He's not had a single minute yet, so what's the point in being there if he's not going to play? Um, just shake the team up, just have a look at a few new players. Even going in the future, I want to see um, Frankie de Jong. I want to see players like that coming in, giving a chance. Players that are hungry and you know, are going to take this forward, team forward going in the few, next few years. And I want to see a confident attacking performance instead of just sitting back, soaking up pressure, hitting on once and then you know, that's it. What I would like to see is that players that are called up that really want to show they want to be involved with the national team. And uh, as Echo Michael's comp uh, comments really, you know, that um, fresh faces and, and new um, new eagerness to kickstart the national team and uh, to kickstart a new era because there's there's a big rebu rebuilding path ahead, which hopefully will culminate in the eventual participation at Euro 2020. So they've got time to get things right, but that starts from the very top. But I just personally hope that the players that are involved uh, and called up for squads and, and, and that kind of thing are given the opportunity to play. And um, especially if it's young players, put them in, even if it's coming on as a substitute to get a taste of international football to give them to leave them wanting a little bit more. But for also for the, for the squads as a whole to really pull together and, and say, right, now this is not going to be the case where for a third national team tournament that we're going to let this uh, pass us by and uh, just a coherent squad that wants to represent the nation to the best of their ability, really. You say that, James, about players that want to play for the, the, the national team. Um, a question here from Dan on Twitter who says, why are Eric Peters, Leroy Fair, Patrick van Aanholt constantly ignored from the national team and there's a bit of, um, there was a comment actually from Leroy Fay saying that I want to play for my country and I don't know why I've been left out. So James, why do you think that is? Um, I think in the case of Advocat, I think he's just kind of, um, he's plugging a gap which has been uh, created due to lack of foresight. It's been created to behind the scenes problems where the national team didn't really have a certain direction. And he's kind of been parachuted in due to the um, ineptitude of, of people above him not being able to make a, a valid choice for a national team manager or to state this is the direction we want to go in. And I think in the case of Advocat, he's just been plugging gaps where he's been selecting what he thinks is the, the best um, the best squad. I don't think he's, uh, he's ever really shown the, uh, the want to really look long term and cast the net far and wide. I think uh, Leroy Fair and Patrick van Aanholt have been extremely unlu un unlucky not to be called up. I'd also echo the sec sentiments of uh, Bundesliga players such as uh, Jeffrey Gawaleu and uh, Paul uh, Verhaag van uh, Wolfsberg. These are very competent players that would also uh, do a job at international level and, and you hope that the next, next national team manager will cast the net far and wide and take their time before... Um, before announcing any squads for any friendly games or competitive matches. Yeah, certainly. And I hope that the next manager as well looks at these players. Um, but who is this right man to deliver? This is a question that's over everyone's lips. And Ronald Koeman has been touted as a favourite for it. Um, Michael, would you pick Ronald Koeman? And if not, why not? Um, I would have a available manager. I think Koeman's definitely 
head and shoulders above everyone else is the top choice. I mean, he wants the job before um, he got overlooked. He's the best candidate. He can come in. He has a relationship with some of these players already. He knows quite a few of them, like Van Dyke, um, Hoot. You know, played well. Uh, he managed a lot of them at Feyenoord as well. Um, he knows a lot of them. Um, his tactics are right. His experience is right. And I think he can bring in an assistant manager. His brother, Erwin, will probably follow him. Um, and that's the duo you want to see. I mean, other people are getting mentioned. You know, Dick Advocat keeps putting Rude Hullet forward. I mean, I don't think that's the right choice. Then there's Fred Rutten, who's been out of work for a couple of years. And then the other one's Frank De Boer. But I don't think, except for his brother, who keeps putting him forward for jobs, I don't think Frank's ever really showed an interest and really wanted to be a national team boss now. Um, I think he's still a club manager now. So I think the easy choice is Ronald Koeman for the KNVB. But whether... Cumin still holds a little bit of a grudge against them for overlooking them. Might make talks a little bit difficult, I think. I think listeners uh, of the pod for a long time will know that I've advocated Cumin eventually being a successor to becoming national team manager. Um, I see a pattern in the fact of what Cumin did in the past with a very, very young Ajax side where they reached the um, quarterfinals of the Champions League in 2003 and a PSV side which uh, went on to win the Eredivisie and uh, a final team that uh, that were very much uh, in all sorts of trouble, but he managed to get the team to be able to compete. And I think if he is offered the national team job, that's the that's the uh, the first thing he's got to do is to mould a team of players that um, are able to compete at international level. And I think he can do it, but I think uh, he must be given he must be given time because no doubt his um, his reputation would have been damaged by uh, being sacked by Everton. Uh, even if you go back into the past where he was relieved of his duties at Benfica and Valencia, every every time he's always been cast to one side and relieved of his duties has always hit him hard. I, and I think in the case of the Premier League, I think it's hit the hardest. So um, I think if the kind of do offer him the job, I think they've got to let him get on with it. And he also has to take his time in selecting the right players to start to build a team that can be able to compete? Uh, in my opinion, I think Koeman, um needs a bit of time off to before he can come into this job. And it's a, it's a good job that actually the KMVB said that they would wait to appoint the next manager um, before March. They was their target. Um, because I, I think he's done well at Feyenoord and Southampton for the reason that he's had modesty on his side. He's been working with two clubs that were working with a budget, working with the reality of bigger teams stealing their players. Now he's gone to Everton. Since he went to Everton, I just think that um, that modesty has left him a bit and he's had the expectation on his shoulders and perhaps a little bit of arrogance has creeped in that maybe it would be a bit easy for him to reach top seven, maybe even top four, with having spent lots of money, over £100 million last summer. I wonder if that's hit him and I don't think arrogance is what the Netherlands national team needs right now it needs confidence but there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance and I just wonder if um, his, 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 his way of motivating players will feed through onto the pitch we don't want to see players thinking that they can beat any old team 3 or 4, 5, 6, nil. they want to be able to beat any team but realise their place in the rank- rankings at the minute they're not one of the top sides in Europe at the moment they need to rebuild that reputation um, he'd also have to work with some of the younger players. Um, Michael, I know you've been watching the under-21s, the under-19s very closely recently. Um, what, what's been happening with them? Um, well, the under-21s, the one 8-0 the other night against Andorra. 
it's a result that you know makes everyone's under twenty ones look good. But you have to think as well that they've started really badly in their under twenty one qualifying group, and they lost to Scotland, who lost at home to Latvia at the weekend. Um, they're second in the group now behind England. Um, I mean, the talents that are coming through at that age level are massive. I mean, you see against Andorra, Frankie de Jong pulled the strings. He was incredible um, in the midfield. You've got Gus Tills playing so well for AZ. You've got Cliver on the wing. Um, Sam Lammers up front. These are all players that you're thinking, and you're, thinking, you're looking at them, and you're like, this is the future of the national team. Why are we so worried? Um, you've got some juice in defence. Um, even going down to the under-19s, you've got so much talent now, um, especially in the forward areas. Um, you just wait in a couple of years because you think in maybe not your 2020, but you know, 22, 24, these players are going to be right in their prime and these are the ones that are going to get Netherlands back to being amongst the world's best. Even under-17s, under-18s beat Republic of Ireland 8-0 yesterday. I mean, these are huge results and they show that Dutch football is not dead. It's just these players need to get time to come through and then just get the chance. And everyone, like the national team, like give Frankie de Jong a chance now. Give Van de Beek a chance. And if the wingers aren't doing it, why not call up Cliver and get him embedded? Bergvine as well. These are talents that are going to be part of the national team in the future. So why not get them embedded now? Yeah, and I think Kuman has that is one of his strengths, and it's bringing through these young players, um, and and players like Frankie de Jong. Um, Jürgen Lucadio as well. Uh, the, these guys are playing very well in the area of Um I think we should now maybe switch our attentions to the area of There's been quite a lot happening recently, and we haven't really talked about it very much on our on our podcasts, mainly because it's been so far apart. Um, I guess the main headlines are that PSV uh, are, are by far and away the leaders of the league, and final champions last year are sitting sixth at the moment. Um, I think maybe a way of opening this discussion up we talk about Feyenoord and we got a question from Gareth. Early in the season, I asked if Feyenoord losing some key players from a title winning side would affect their season. Is this and playing in Europe now costing them in the league? James, would you like to start with that? Um, yeah, I think the follow Gareth has got a point. I think, um, I think playing twice a week in a relatively difficult Champions League group, I think it's, took, it's taken a lot out of them energy-wise. And you can see in the in the points that have been dropped against Nagbaleda uh, and against Adelaide that these were unexpected results, and which has shocked final themselves. I mean, to sit 12 points behind PSV with only 11 games gone, there's still a, a long, long way to go. But I just think they've been a bit shell shocked. They've been a bit shell shocked, maybe at the the recovery time between playing an intensive Champions League match maybe um, away in Napoli and then having to get the motivation to go away to uh, an uh, an Den Haag team or looking at their fixture list and maybe thinking oh you know we were we were having to travel to the Ukraine and then you get back in the early hours in the morning and look ahead to your next game and think oh that's not quite the same is it with uh, the Champions League rigmarole and uh, and the commercial um uh, the special uh, attention around it, so I think I think they've been a, a bit shell shocked, but there's still a long way to go in the season. And I think the signings they made with Haps and St. just these are good signings that over the course of the season we'll see fine or good. And I think once they're completely eliminated from Europe, I think in the second half of the season you'll see them sl- sl- uh, slowly start to um, 
to pick up pace again. I just think they've been a bit shell-shocked with the uh, demands of, of top-class European football and then uh, the motivation to get back to the bread and butter and, um, and, 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 and be able to perform well, really. Um, well, I saw a couple of weeks ago, I saw Feyenoord play Pikes Fall Alive. Um, it was a nil-nil draw. I just think Feyenoord, just around the team, you've got so many players you think are very creative, but they're just not you know, gelling together for whatever reason. They've got Jorgensen up front, should be banging in the goals. They've got plenty of talent on the wings, Berghaus, Larsen, Boetius, and then you think their midfield would be a lot more creative than it is with Valhena, um, El Amadi and Turnstra, but I think Valhena's having a horrible season so far. Um, how he keeps getting caught up to the Dutch national team, I don't know, because he's just not anywhere near the level he was last season. That's just what's making them suffer at the moment. There's no one at the level they were last season. And defensively, obviously, they're missing Botteheen and van der Heiden. I think that's not helped at all. Even Brad Jones has been nowhere near what he was last year. Maybe the Champions League is taken out of him, but um, just in the league, they're just not beating teams you expect them to hammer. Like even Ado Den Haag at the weekend, you know, final to the lead, but he just can't maintain it. Defensively, they're not strong. Attack-wise, they're not strong. And I think I can call it now and say they're not going to win a title. I know it's still early, but they're not going to make up that gap on Feyenoord, uh, on PSV. Sorry, it's going to be between PSV and Ajax. And I even think Feyenoord might even struggle to to get third if AZ and even Pegs Vola keep playing the way they are. It's going to be a, a battle for them. Yeah, agreed. It's like a culmination of factors, isn't it, between all these defensive injuries that Feyenoord have suffered and players like Phil Hanna and Jones just being off form. Um, it may be that there's, there's a side of uh, the fact that all these younger players have come in, since Jester for one, um, maybe take time to adjust, Umbrabat as well. They're playing okay, but they're not playing at a title winning level. I'm not sure what's more surprising though, the fact that Feyenoord have done so poorly or the fact that PSV have surprised everybody because I, I for one before the start of the season fancied them to be outside the top three for long periods of the season. Um, but they're by far and away leading the table. Why do you think you know? Why do you think this is, guys? Why 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 are PSV PSV doing so well? Um, one reason, Herving Lozano. I mean, you've got to say he's the signing of the summer. The guy's uh, a sensation. He's going to be a big, big player. I even saw against Belgium for Mexico, he scored twice. He was amazing, and just the start he's had to the season, it's just incredible. Him and Lucaria just seem to have formed this partnership. Is they seem to know each other's movements already and it's resulting in goals. I mean, fire, uh, PSV are by far and away, um, I think it's 37 goals already in 11 games. You know, it's averaging nearly three a game. I mean, the front line, you can even add Luke de Jong to it. He scores like one goal in over a thousand minutes and they're still winning games because them two are just so on, on fire and behind them they've got um, Van Hinkle who's playing really well and Jordan Hendricks um, and old Shaka who sometimes appears on the podcast is a big fan of Hendrix and was saying all last season that you know he should have been playing maybe even ahead of Guardado and he's shown um, in the PSV midfield that he's he's up to challenge and it's, the whole team's gelling. They're winning games, they're scoring goals. Defensively, they're not. It's a bit like the old Newcastle under Kevin Keegan. They're not very good defensively, but they'll score, score goals so they can beat teams 4-3, you know, 5-2. It's just... It's incredible so far as how they are going forward. And I think that is just down to Lozano on the left and even Gaston Pereiro playing in the number 10 role. It's just, I think Cockers has done really well with them getting that team set up.
I think they've done ever so well to react to the disappointment of failing to qualify for the Europa League. I think once once they failed to qualify for the Europa League, I think it shocked the whole of Dutch football and it shocked PSV in particular. And a lot of people were worrying about, is this the start, beginning of the end of Koku even? And they've reacted so well to win 10 of 11 games and have a, a goal difference of... Uh, of uh, plus 24 I think it's very impressive and um, I think with Philip Koku as well he knew the pressure was on he's been there for five years and the pressure I mean he stated it on many occasions in press conferences that this is uh, this season in particular is the culmination of uh, of an eventual Eredivisie title I think that's what everybody's working towards I think they uh, they would have even sacrificed Europe I mean I'm sure they would have wanted to participate in the group uh, group stages but um, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that they were eliminated by so yet at such an early stage. But um, if you look at their squad as well, with Van Amzalar and, uh, and Van Ginko and Lozano, there is quality there. And I think this, this, this is the season where they all know that um, this may be uh, the last full season where the nucleus of that PSV team is together, inclu- including the manager. And... Um, yeah, I just think everybody's pulling together and everybody's wanting to to go full steam ahead to try and win that Eredivisie title and uh, see it back in Eindhoven. Yeah, the stars such as Herving Lozano, Mark Van Hinkle, um, they're leading the way on this title charge. Um, and I, I think these will be two of our, our stars, perhaps, of the Eredivisie so far. This comes into a question we got on Twitter and, and this person wants to know why... No, sorry who are some of our stars um, of, the, of this season so far. Um, if you look away from PS3 and perhaps the our top three in general, I've liked um, how RZL are coming along, and uh, particularly Valt Verhorst, um, the striker, and Dimitri Hustil. I tipped before the start of the season to shine. He only had a few matches last season where we could see that what kind of player he was. And for me, he's like um, he's like Marcus Henriksen before he left to go to Hall City. Um, a very good player, I think, in the making. Uh, a very good shadow striker to have around. Um, very threatening, but also just a very good midfielder to have. Um, James, would you like to give us a couple of your favourites this so far this season? Yeah, the first one I'm going to say might be a little bit rogue. And uh, some listeners might think when I say, who's that? But um, Fabian Spogskledov and Nakbaleda, he's the right back with number two. I haven't seen him have a bad game yet. I had to do um, uh, preparation for the uh, live flute interview where I deliberately set out to watch on TV uh, matches of Nakbrada played against uh, against Venlo and against Utrecht, and um, he really really impressed me. And um, I think he's uh, he's came through the youth uh, youth teams at Ajax and I said in the past, and even had a spell in Italy. And um, he was um, he really caught my eye, and I think uh, I think he's uh, he's definitely one for the future. I think I agree with you on Verhorst uh, as well. It just just shows what um, what confidence can do because there was the time when uh, when Verhorst first signed for RZ, where a lot of people had question marks about whether he could cut the mustard and whether he could do uh, whether he could do a job. But he's, he's certainly proving proving them wrong. And I think uh, to touch on another two, perhaps uh, Labiat from Utrecht has uh, scored a very uh, important winner against Ajax in Amsterdam for Utrecht and. Uh, and finally, Conon uh, van Den Haag. I think um, being involved in the setup with Ivory Coast as well, and uh, and being uh, a physical presence to help Ardo in their backline in securing results. I think um, I think can only serve to ser- can uh, can only serve to uh, to see can only see to serve them well, really. 
Um, for me, one of the stars that doesn't really get mentioned is Brandon Kuas of Heracles. Um, he's just an outstanding winger. I don't understand at 25 how he's still, you know, an Almelo. You know, he scored stunning goals. He scored one against Ajax, the winner earlier in the season. He scored a couple recently. Um, even when he's not scoring goals, he's involved. He won the penalty against Adolf Haag, got an assist as well. Um, they're talking about him even being, you know, near the national team of Netherlands. I know he, um, a few said that he shouldn't be selected because basically he plays for Heracles and he's not at a top club, so he should move first and just talk of um, big clubs from abroad and even ones in the Eredivisie. I can see him at, you know, a PSV or a Feyenoord. Um, he's he's that good. Um, other than that, Denzel Dumfries of Herenveen um, started the season excellently, got all the assists, but I think he's a very competent right back. Um, he's shown at a higher level now. Uh, really, it's strange that Peck's Law are doing so well and there's not really a stand up there, but Eunice Mokhtar is doing really well. Um, even the young centre back, Philippe uh, Sandler, he's only 20. You know, they've got a very good defensive record. Even the goalkeeper, Bohr, he left Ajax to go back to Peck's Law and he's, he's doing excellently since he's been there. Um, at AZ, Alreza, Johan Bakash on the right hand side. He's a winger who just got recently linked to Napoli. They're meant to be keeping an eye on him. And um, even a left back, Thomas Ulian, uh, the young under 21 international, um, he's coming for Haps and he's doing really well so far. Yeah, Thomas Ulian, um, a very typical Dutch left back, very attacking. Um, used to be a midfielder, I believe. Um, yeah, Peck Swallow are one that annoy me as well because when I do predictions every week, um, they seem to annoy me because they, they win when I expect them to lose. Um, but I think the run will come to an end soon. They struggle to break down teams, um, but their defence is just very strong at the moment and it's just helped them see, see out results. Um, I think one last question we'll have then uh, before we finish uh, will be from Jordan. What's the view on the artificial pitches? Um, will they be banned neck from next season? Ajax put out a statement this week which says um, we would like artificial pitches to be banned. They are actually injuring players in the league. I know for one Nikolai Jorgensen, the final striker, um, has been peeved by the artificial pitches. Uh, James, I know you replied to Jordan on Twitter. Would you just like to elaborate for everybody um, what your view is on it? Yeah, well, um, if you look to take the statement from Overmars in the first instance, uh, Ajax have released a statement where they've stated that they're not going to send any more loanies uh, from Ajax to Eredivisie clubs that play in on AstroTurf. Um, they, Overmars himself, has stated that he hopes that uh, within two years this this case will be completely um, fixed in terms of no more AstroTurf um, uh, pitches at the highest level. But if you if you look at it, um, if you look at it um, obje objectively, there's currently seven teams in the Eredivisie that have AstroTurf pitches. And if you go down into the European League, there's 11 teams that have AstroTurf pitches. It also comes down to money, where uh, the um, the budgets that the clubs have, they're not always conducive to um, to making sure that uh, they can have uh, grass pitches where they might choose AstroTurf. Because also here in the Netherlands, if you're a professional club and if you're if your books don't match and your um, and your accounts don't match up, 
you can receive warnings where if you don't adhere to the um, advice given to you by the Dutch FA, you can eventually be threatened with your license being revoked and your team is put back to the amateurs, uh, amateur football. And I think a lot of clubs are looking to cut their cloth accordingly and you can understand them doing that. But if you if you turn it around to the player's point of view, like you just said about Jorgensen, I remember seeing, an, um, I think it was uh, Huntelaar's uh, reaction after the... Um, I think it was the win in Venlo where he stated that um, uh, it's like playing on a concrete, um, it's like playing on a pe- playing on AstroTurf. According to Hunter, I was like playing on a concrete pitch with a plastic film on it. In terms of how a sliding tackle is made, in terms of how a player even falls from uh, an aerial challenge, and I think um, players are becoming very uh, very wary of playing on uh, AstroTurf in in this day and age, especially in the Netherlands. Well. Um... Guys, that, I think that seems to be it for this week. So if you've made it to the end of the podcast, well done. We hope to have a new podcast for you very soon. Um, but don't forget as well, if you're subscribed to us on YouTube, there'll be new videos very soon. And I know James um, has uh, an interview coming up soon with Jeffrey Helvaleu, um, the Augsburg defender. So it's plenty to look forward to from Football Anya. Thanks, Michael. And thanks, James. You're welcome.